Well, today we're um, continuing our series we have uh, called Rethink Humility. And Pastor Mark started last week, uh, and we're back to finish this week. And next week we're actually going to start a series called Bah Humbug. You're going to like it, and it's going to kind of travel along. In 31 years that we've done this play, we've never done a series that explains the play or goes along with it, and this year we will. So I, I want you to join us next Sunday. It's going to be fun. I, I remember, uh, how many of you ever been snow skiing? Have you ever been snow skiing? Okay, so, so mo most of you have not. How many of you have never been snow skiing? Oh, okay, good. So, so, so you might not know this part. The first time I went snow skiing, I was um, about 22, 23, and I had never been around it in my life. A bunch of youth pastors said, hey, let's take our groups, let's go. I thought, sure, you know, it's incredible. I grew up playing sports. I thought, yeah, you just ski. What could be the problem? So we get up there, and, uh, and, and we go to ski, and you, know, you go to a little ski school, and then they let you out on your own. And you hit the, the ski lift, and it dumps you out. And, and uh, see, I knew something was wrong because you got these like bed slats on your feet. And you would think somebody would tie them together so they would do the same thing. That's not what happens. That's all got to happen between your ears. I didn't know that. So we're up there, and all of a sudden they say, okay, you know, get ready to jump. What do you mean jump? I can't jump. I can't walk. You know, you got these like uh, like uh, uh, Star Wars stormtrooper boots on. You know, your ankles are totally immobilized. And so they say you're going to jump when you get up. Just make sure you jump. And they are like not patient with you, you know, because they they're ready to ski the people behind you. So you got this little ice hill, and uh, and what you do is you jump off on it. And and I I couldn't figure out when to jump because I'd never done it. So I was sort of trying to put my foot down like this, you know, sort of kind of kind of. You know, you, you ever have a foot on land and one on a boat, you know, you get that feeling? Yeah, I'm kind of kind of testing it out. And, and, and I start slipping out of the lift, and it just starts riding up my back like this. And, and, and I'm feeling something a little funky's going on here. And all of a sudden, there's this embankment of ice that is just built up. And this ski lift is about to mash my head between the back of the lift and the ice and pop it like a grape. So I just face plant. You know, what else can you do? And I know they're thinking, oh, man, you haven't even got to the hill yet. How are you going to ski? I can't even get off the lift. So I get up. You know, it takes about 14 hours to put your skis back on. Put the skis back on. You know, go, and then you're going to go out this little pass and, and, um, and then start skiing downhill. On the little small hill, I thought, that's where I'll, no big deal. So I kind of start, you know, pushing out there. And here's what they say. When you, when you hit the you know, the elevation, you start going down, then just turn, right? Oh, you see them on TV, just, wow, wow, you know. So I'm kind of going out like this, and I start turning my skis. You know, they won't both turn at the same time, so kind of, and I can hear the snow mashing on, rink, 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 and all of a sudden, and I think, turn. Man, I'm going, have you ever seen um, uh, Christmas Vacation when he puts the oil on the bottom of that? I'm, and I'm thinking, turn, I can't turn. Are you insane? What no one told me, is that the temperature had melted. Oh, by the way, we were on the tallest mountain in North Carolina. Nobody told me that either. Where they ski. And, and uh, what nobody else nobody told me is the temperature had risen and everything had melted. And then they had a hard freeze. And I'm skiing downhill on ice. I'm ice skating downhill on skis. That's what's going on. Well, I thought that was skiing. I didn't know any better. 
I'm going lightning speed toward this split rail fence with a lodge behind it. And I mean, I am cooking with gas. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I'm looking down between my feet and grounds just going like that. And, and you know, one ski's going up, one ski, and I'm thinking, this is not right. I mean, man was not supposed to go this fast with, outside of a car. This is wrong. And I'm blistering, and I don't know what else to do, and I see a hill over there. And so I just run up the hill and lay down. So, and I'm breathing heavy. I'm thinking, Jesus, come quickly. I'm, maybe I'll live. So I think, okay, this isn't going to whip me, right? I got I to try again. So I go through the whole thing again. I finally get off the lift, right? I thought I landed that. And, and, and I go to, I go, to go, go down again. And as I'm going down, I, I, you know, I kind of get a little, you know, a little rhythm. And, and, I, and I turn once. I turn once. And I think, I, I kind of got this. And, and all of a sudden, I hit a little, a little, just a little bump. And one ski comes off the ground. And you, you know this feeling like you lose gravity? Like, oh, everything goes in slow motion? You know? I had that feeling, and, and, and so I'm wobbling, and I'm trying to turn, and I, I'm losing control, and I cut directly across the back of a lady's skis. Sorry! She's gone. Sorry! You know? And then, and then I hit another bump, and I go into a full 360, all, all like this. Skis popping off everywhere. Everything's falling apart. And I, and I land. My skis over here. My pole's over here. And, and, I, and I think, man, my nose is running. And I put my glove up on my nose. To wipe, and I got blood on my glove. That ski slat has come across my lip and cut it open. That hurts, by the way, those of you who don't know. And I said, you know what? This is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I don't know who invented this, but they should be shot. I'm going to the lodge. I'm done. This is dumb. Why would I torture myself like this? So I went to the lodge, and I sat down, and I'm sitting there around that big circle fireplace with my feet up on the fire, and the entire front wall of the lodge is glass. And I'm just sitting there watching the 12-year-olds in our youth group. Zero, 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 you know. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. Like, I, like, I'm like 23, man. I can't let a 12-year-old, this is insane. So, so here's what I thought. If this is going to happen, I'm going to have to rethink my whole approach to this thing. Because if you've never skied before, it's counterintuitive. Like what you want when you get on the lift or for them to stop it so you can get on. Like a ride. They're not stopping nothing. And then when you get off, you want them to stop it, you know, when you get off. You, you, you realize it's not natural to go 40 miles an hour on these little rails. You want them to go together. They don't go together. When you're out there and you're going 40 miles an hour down a hill, you want to lean back because you want to slow everything down a little bit. And that's the exact worst thing you can do. You actually have to lean toward it. That's insane. I don't want to lean toward it. I want to back up. It's counterintuitive. You know, I find that that's what humility is like. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't come natural. And that's why we named this series Rethink Humility. Because humility is one of the strangest virtues of all. If you claim you have it, you don't. Think about it. 
And it's difficult to spot because it's difficult to define. I can tell you what it's not. It's not weakness. It's not passivity. It's not apathy. It may include sacrifice, but it's not self-denial, and it's not self-pity. Pastor Mark, as he shared last week, gave this definition, definition that I thought was incredible. Humility is the ability to accurately see yourself and to accurately see God. It's not pity. It's not woe is me. It's not I'm, I'm too invaluable to even you know talk out loud. It's not that. It's the ability to accurately see yourself and to accurately see God. Now last week, Pastor Mark said... Pride destroys and humility lifts. Today we want to go a little bit deeper in this topic of rethinking humility. And I, I, when I think of humility, I'm, I'm always drawn to this event in Jesus' life that I think is the time that he, that he caused his disciples to rethink humility uh, probably more than any time. It's in John 13. What I want to do is just sort of paint the backdrop for you, and then we'll pick up at verse 12. This is the last time that Jesus would be with his closest followers privately before he died. So he did something that was completely unexpected. He took a towel, he took some water, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, this custom is completely lost on us because it's just not how we function in our society. So let's just try to turn our imagination on this morning and... Uh, and, and and uh, see how that must have felt. Imagine if you and I in a group were at Longhorns uh, uh, over here in Alabaster, and we were getting ready to eat a good steak. And as we had the menus open and we're trying to decide which steak we wanted, someone slipped out from their chair and started to work their way around the table and started to take everybody's shoes and socks off and to wash their feet at Longhorns. Can anybody say awkward? Like that would, be, that would be very weird and it would be very awkward. And the reason is, is because uh, it's not part of how our society functions. It would be unnecessary and unneeded. But what I want you to try to imagine is what life was like then. And so if you do, you'll be able to understand the meaning of this. In their part of the world, they lived in a subtropical climate that was often hot and humid. They walked everywhere they went, and, and there weren't two roads, one for animals and one for humans. So the animals used the same roads the humans did, the sheep, the cattle, the goats. They were continually sidestepping, you know, camel poop. You haven't stepped in it till you stepped in camel poop. And, and then you are in it. Just imagine... What kind of trouble we'd be in today if people were texting and walking? Oh, better put that phone up. It's not going to work where the camels go. You get the picture though, right? These are filthy roads. They're the only way to travel. When you arrive at someone's house, you would wash your hands, but you would definitely wash your feet because who knows where they've been. Middle Eastern tables were only about 18 inches high. So when you would sit at the table, you, you would lean on your elbow and put your feet directly behind the person beside you who was about to eat. As you can imagine, if you had camel poop feet, you're not making friends at dinner. Can I just say it like that? Feet were considered the most detestable part of the body 
to wash someone else's feet was not the thing that anybody would volunteer for. It was a task that was given to slaves and, uh, and uh, usually non-Jewish slaves. But in this dinner gathering, there were no slaves. The next best choice would have been the lowest ranking disciple of the 12 disciples that Jesus had. But none of the disciples volunteered. Nobody made a move. So here, here's what's crazy. No one would argue that Jesus was the most important person in the room. However, to work his way around the table and washing everyone's feet would have been a complete surprise to everybody in the room. I wonder what kind of thoughts and feelings his actions provoked in everybody around the room, his actions of deep humility. Now, although it was customary to have somebody washing your feet, it was totally unexpected that Jesus, the most important person in the room, would be the one doing it. This was slaves' work, not God's work. Think about that. Now verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Here's the key thought from the scripture. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Here's the key question. Do you understand what I've done for you? By his actions, Jesus painted a clear picture of humility and action. Now, Jesus was asking his disciples to rethink greatness. What he was saying is, you think I'm the greatest person in the room? Well, you're right, I am. And here's how the greatest person in the room ought to act. They ought to go and serve everybody else and wash everybody else's feet. I don't know a more important trait uh, in our present culture and just in humanity in general than, than humility. I, I, I want you to think with me for a minute. I don't know a more important trait in leadership. I don't know a more important trait in marriage. I promise you wherever there's conflict, there's a lack of humility. Because humility will resolve conflicts. I don't know a more important trait in parenting. I, I don't know a more important trait in the marketplace. I don't know a more important trait in our relationship with people outside the Christian faith. And, and I, I wish we had more time to talk about that because I think oftentimes our knee-jerk reaction uh, to, to, to the things that we post on social media and the way we interact in the culture divide is harming the Christian faith because it's misrepresenting it. It's not what Jesus would have done. We know what Jesus would have done because he shows us here. So, so let me give you three thoughts this morning on how you and I can rethink humility. Number one, humility grows when we serve. So, so here's an example of what rethinking humility looks like. In our culture, humility is defined, I'm sorry, greatness is defined by how many people serve you. In God's kingdom, greatness is determined by how many people you serve. So if you want to know where you're at in your own character development and humility and in Christian faith and in the kingdom, ask yourself, how many people do I serve? That will go further to, to gauge where you are in your own development than anything else. How, how many of you remember um, the, the old rapper MC Hammer? Remember, hammer time. You know, I, I, I'm not, I can't do it. 
Hammer time. You remember hammer time, right? You, that's still a good beat, right? It just is. It just, it's just a good beat. It's timeless. Hammer time. I, you know, kind of the one-hit wonder. With the big, the big pants. Remember that? The big blow-up pants? You could do the, he's on Arsenio Hall. Remember all that? It was good. I like all that. Well, well uh, I don't know if you know this. In his heyday, which lasted for about a hot minute, but in his heyday, MC Hammer had 175 employees in three offices in, in uh, New York, uh, L.A., and I don't know if it's Chicago, somewhere else in the country. And what MC Hammer had come from a hard life, and so what he tried to do is to help as many people as he could, so he would just hire them all. And so MC Hammer was considered important because he had 175 full-time employees serving him. That, that's what the world would consider important. But we have to rethink what humility and greatness is because it's just the opposite in God's kingdom. You can look in Isaiah chapter 6 at the prophet Isaiah who was a powerful, well-placed relative of the royal family. He was living in a royal palace he, uh, uh, the king, uh, uh, in the palace of King Uzziah in Jerusalem. King Uzziah died and no doubt he was grieving for the king but he was also grieving for his position in the palace because oftentimes those transitions didn't happen without bloodshed. So he's thinking, what's going to happen to me? And he goes over to the temple one night, and, and he has this vision of God sitting on the throne in power and majesty and angels and glory and smoke and all kind of crazy stuff are going on. And suddenly he sees the greatness of God, and when he sees the greatness of God, he sees how small he really is. Now watch this. In Isaiah 6, 5, listen to this translation. He said, I said, doom. This is just after he saw God. How great God was, how small. It's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked God in the face. The king, God of the angel armies, proud and powerful Isaiah was humbled in that moment. Now watch what happens. Then in his broken humility... A merciful God reached down, forgave his sin, took a coal off the altar, cleansed his lips, and as soon he re as he realized what God had done for him, listen to how Isaiah reacts. If you read a little further in Isaiah 6, uh, he begins to hear God ask this question, who's going to serve me? Who can I send? Who will go for me? Who will do what I ask him to do? And Isaiah's heart burst. Watch. Out of extraordinary humility. And he said, I'll go. If you'll have me, I'll go. Send me. Here I am. Let me serve. Let me go. Let me be a part of it. When I see God in his proper place, and I see myself in my proper place, humility is born. And humility, which way do you want it? Humility overflows in servanthood, and serving overflows in humility. Well, they're just connected. Uh, I, I remember uh, th this week, Pastor Mark and I were talking about this series, and I was just kind of catching up on how did things go last week. And, we, and I said, Mark, let me ask you a question. If you're, if you're a guest today, you, you probably wouldn't know this. Pastor Mark and Peggy have been on staff at this church over 40 years. So they've had a unique perspective in life, whereas since they never moved, they got to stay in one place 
and watch how people's lives play out over decades. Now, so let me ask you a question as we were talking about this series. Would you say it's true? I'm going to make a guess. Would you say it's true in over 40 years of ministry, the people that you have seen, because you've seen a lot of people come and go, the people that you have seen in over 40 years of ministry in one place grow the most? Would you say those were the people who served? He said, absolutely. Are you kidding me? I can't even think of an exception. What is that? Serving is connected to your Christian faith and growth. It is connected to humility and it is connected to, to the advancement of your own faith with Jesus. So serving allows humility to grow. Number two, humility makes us more like God. I want to throw an interesting question at you. Have you ever thought about the humility of God? That's a timeout. That, that sounds like, how do you mean that? What do, you, what do you mean the humility of God? This is one of those places we need to rethink humility. How could an all-powerful, an all-knowing, and an all-present God be humble? The one who created the universe, who hung the stars in the sky, who spun the planets into orbit around the sun, how could he be humble? Our surprise at that thought reveals our false assumptions about humility. Remember what humility is. Having the ability to accurately view ourselves and to view God. Do you think God has an accurate view of himself? Yes. Of course he does. He's not, he's not disillusioned about who he is. Well, then, then, then that's humble. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, I am gentle and humble in heart. That's Jesus' words. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. If Jesus is humble, the Father's humble. If the Father's humble, God's humble. God tells us this again and again. And the next few weeks, we're going to be celebrating this whole time of year that is, that is absolutely beautiful and wonderful for so many reasons. But we're going to celebrate this Christmas story again whereby Jesus reminds us and God reminds us, I am humble. He was born in a manger, in a stable, in a little town on the backside of nowhere, and he was born poor. And what is death on the cross? What does it mean, that what character trait would God have to display to let himself be nailed by humans that are a little more than ants to him? On a cross publicly humiliated and beaten and shamed until he dies physically. What else, what character trait would, it would take extraordinary restraint. Unbelievable humility. Philippians 2.5 tells us, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's no question that God's humble. The question is why? Why would God need to be humble? Is it humility? Um, is it humility for those with weaknesses? Is it humility? Doesn't it come from our own limitations? Well, God doesn't have any limitations. God doesn't have any weaknesses. So why would God need to be humble? God is humble because God is love. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. God showed us ultimate love by giving us his son. And being a humble servant is the highest expression 
of love. It takes extraordinary humility to show love, to show true love, to show authentic love. C.S. Lewis said this, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's my favorite definition of humility. It's not, it's not self-pity, it's not degrading yourself. It's just not being so preoccupied with yourself that you can't unselfishly love someone else. The most loving, I promise this, the most loving people you know are humble. Think for a minute. Just let your mind wander and let it wander through the relatives, maybe the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the, the friends, the, whoever. That person you a mentor, I promise you, all the most loving people you know have one thing in common. They're humble. And, on the other hand, the people you know that are the least loving are the least humble. And so God's humility is actually motivated by His great love. Humility is not about limitation and weakness. It's about love. Humility allows us to become more loving. How, how, how does humility allow us to become more like God? It allows us to become more, more loving. Number three. Humility leads to a blessed life. You don't really think about humility inviting blessing. But humility leads to a blessed life. I want to remind you of the question Jesus asked his disciples just after he washed their feet. Do you understand what I have done for you? What is what is Jesus searching for in the hearts and minds of his disciples? He's searching for understanding. Do you understand? Do you realize? Do you know why I did this? Do you know why the greatest person in the room became the least person in the room? Do you understand that move? Do you understand what it produces? Do you understand what it shows? Do you? And then he says, now you go and do it. Do you understand why I want you to do it? Verse 17 after all of that dialogue, he says this, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He didn't say you'll be blessed if you know them. He said you will be blessed if you do them. One of our struggles in American Christianity is we know so much more than we are. Or another way, we know so much more than we do. We know the answer. We think the trick is to know the answer. The trick's not to know the answer, it's to do the answer. Do you, you'll be blessed if you do what I do. Back in October, um, our, our high school ministry here at Kingwood has a group uh, called Edge. And every year, Pastor Jeremy takes the group on a backpacking trip. And so I was, up on that, I was part of that group. And uh, our big reward, you know, after living outside in the woods, and you would think in the cold in October, no, no, it was 90. It was 9090, just north of hell, 90. I'm talking about hot. You, nobody ought to be living outside at that time. But there we were, stinky, you know, sweaty, 29 of us. Drank from the creeks and slept on the ground like John the Baptist, you know, locusts in our beard and all of that. 
And, and we roll up into Cracker Barrel, and, and I thought, boy, I bet they want to put us in the furthest corner. We have some picnic tables outside if you'd like to. You know, I can't imagine how we must have looked to them. And we're sitting there in all this mess, you know. And they can't put us all at one table, so they're breaking us apart all over the place. And this waitress comes up to me, and she says, hey, um, is, that, is that table over there with you guys? And I, I looked over, and I said, I think right here. Yeah, I think so. And she, I said, why? And she said, well, do you see that guy right there? I said, oh, no, no. You know, something, something's happened. And don't tell, you know, go, go tell somebody else. I, she said, no, this guy right here, what happened is, I think he had spilled something. And she said, and it was, a, you know, a mess on the ground. And she said, um, I, I went to clean it up. And before I could, he got out of his chair and bent down on his knees and took all the napkins and he, he cleaned the floor. And he said, I just want you to know, in 11 years of working at this Cracker Barrel, no customer has ever done anything like that for me. It, it was Jared, Jared Tidwell. Of course, some of you know him go, well, of course it was. <laughs> Who else would it be? I'm not sure about the other 28 of us. But I can tell you who it was. It was Jared. And, and she said, I want you to know something. Everybody in the kitchen is talking about it. The cooks are talking about it. The other waitresses are talking about it. No one's ever seen anything like it. Everybody's talking about it. If you don't think humility leads to blessing. And humility leads to a blessed life. It is a blessing to those around you, and it is a blessing to you. So last weekend, uh, a small group of us went, my son's 20, 21st birthday, we went to backpack again, like we hadn't learned enough. And, and it was not 90, it was 29. We were just trying to cover all our bases, you know. And we about froze the first night, burnt half the Talladega forest trying to stay warm. But on that faithful morning, we hiked out in the rain. In the rain. Remember that big storm that went through last weekend? Yes, we do too. <laughs> because everything we own is soaked in it. We hiked out in the rain. We got to our cars wet. I, I, I'll take cold or wet, not both. They don't go together. Got both. And lo and behold, we pull up to the same Cracker Barrel. Wouldn't you know it? And this time it wasn't as crowded, and I'm not exaggerating. They put us in, you know those little uh, lattice petitions? They put us on the back of all of them with nobody. I guess we stunk in the rain, you know. We're all wet. We were huddling by the fire. And, and, and we're sitting at the table, and Jared happened to be with us. And the waitress walked up and said, hey, Jared, how are you doing? And there was an immediate rapport, an immediate smile, and an immediate open heart. You don't think humility is a blessing? It shines. Like, you think you're going to fire a comment off on Facebook that's negative and change somebody's mind? No, you just entrench them. But if you reach out in an act of humility, it shines like a spotlight in the darkness. And man, it will, it will 
impact. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us. Do you understand? It's I'm about to die. It's important. Do you know what I did for you? Do you, can you comprehend it? Don't do this the way the world does this. Do this the way that I did it, the way that I showed you, the way that I taught you. Live a blessed life. You want to know what the blessed life is? The blessed life is a life lived in humility. Rethink humility. Well, I hope today somehow I've caused you to rethink it a little bit. What my, what my, what my prayer has been is that you'd not just rethink it, but, but maybe you would hunger for it. Maybe you'd desire it, you know? So what, what should you do? How, 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 you know, what do you walk away from here and, you know, work on or change or how do you, how do you apply? Let me give you, um, I don't know all the thoughts. I don't even know how to become more humble. I don't, I don't know, I don't know a lot of that. I can tell you a few things that I think would help you. First, admit that you're not humble. I think that might actually be the first step in growing in humility, is admit that you're not. You can't admit that you are, because then you're not. So just start by saying, I'm not. Admit that you're not humble, or at least, admit that there are areas in your life that you're not humble in, and try to find them. Try to find the spots where humility is not real obvious in your life. And, and then do the opposite. Then work in an opposite way. You can practice serving. You, you, know, you know a few minutes ago when I said, hey man, uh, last year we had almost 400 people serving in Scrooge. Man, that's such an impressive number, and it's such an overwhelming number. But you know what? We've got more hundreds than that that didn't serve at all. You don't, you don't have to serve in Scrooge to go to heaven or be a Christian or anything else. But you do have to serve somewhere to grow in humility. That's the best I can tell you. You do have to serve somewhere. Or, or your world's going to shrink and it's going to become all about you and your problems will be the biggest problems and all of that. And that's why Jesus said, do you, know, do you know what I did for you? Do you understand what I did for you? Then do that. I, I'm, I'm so excited. We've had, we, had, we had 43 people in the last six months in our church take a step, a first step of serving. 43 adults. That doesn't even include all the teenagers and the, the maybe Club 5 and the other people. That's exciting to me because that's a sign that we're a church that's growing in humility. I, I don't know a better way to grow. Here's another uh, way you can, I think, rethink humility. It's in worship. In the series we did in his presence when you worship God it takes humility to worship God it takes no humility to cross your arms and say I'm, I'm good I'm fine me, me, me and the big guy upstairs we're, we're okay we have an understanding it takes no humility 
takes none. But boy, to say, God, today, maybe in ways I don't even know, I need you. And, and Lord, I worship you. As Pastor Mark said last week, I, I'm not you. I'm not God. And as long as that's true, I'm always going to need you. So in a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to worship and we're going to sing a whole song. And, and you'll at least have an opportunity, you know, to practice. Here's the last one. Um, this might be the hardest for us, maybe for guys, probably for Americans. Ask for prayer. Ask for help. In a few minutes after we worship, we're going to have our prayer team come and you'll have an opportunity if you have a need to pray, to ask, ask someone to pray for you. And so many times we dismiss that moment because we say, you know, I'm good or I've resolved it or, you know, God knows or I've already prayed about it or whatever. But there's, there's something powerful that happens in your soul when you step across that line and say, would you pray for me? It, it takes humility. I, I remember one Christmas when our, our youngest son was small. He, he had become type 1 diabetic, I don't know, maybe a year or something before two, whatever. We were at my mom's house for Christmas and we went to a Christmas service. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when a pastor goes out of town and goes to a church service, the last thing you want to do is be recognized. You just want to sit in the back and go, can I just sit here and be part of the service and receive and just act like, you know what I mean? Just sort of slide in and hear the sermon and let it feed my soul and worship. I, I, I don't, I, I, I want to, I want to have a, have a point of refreshment. And, um, that's where I was. We were tired. We'd gone through a lot. We were on the near the back. And they had this prayer time, like before the sermon. They had this prayer time, you know. And all the prayer team, they said, you know, if you have a need, you come right now. And as we sing this other song, you know, and we're going to pray for you. And I remember wrestling in my soul thinking, oh, you know, we've already prayed about this. And I was thinking about my son. We've already prayed about this. And I, you know, I... We just came to rest here. We, we didn't come to, you know, we're not part of this church. This isn't our home. And, and I remember just wrestling in my soul. And I, and I thought, why, why, why am I wrestling? What is the conflict? What is going on in my soul? Why does this matter to me? And, and, and not, listen, not that I thought that, okay, if you go up there, God's going to heal your son. If you don't, he's not going to heal your son. Because God doesn't play tricks like that. He doesn't make you earn. It wasn't that for me. Here's what it was for me. Will you bring the unresolved need that you have to God one more time or will you continue to carry it by yourself? Okay. So I, so I got up and Stacy and I and our kids we went down and said, would you, would you pray for us? We need God's help. Because what we're facing, we can't do by ourselves. And we just want to admit that today. And can I tell you, nobody was healed. But it was a wonderful time of prayer that did something in my soul that needed to happen in my soul. 
And God did answer many prayers around that. So this morning, would you stand with me? Our worship team's coming. And as we went through the In His Presence series, we said, let's just stay in this uh, flow for a little while. I feel like the presence of God is rich in our church right now. And so we're going to sing a whole song. And it's, it's not an altar call. It's not a prayer time. We're ending early. Unless you have an emergency, would you please stay? And this morning, we just want to worship. So would you go ahead and just begin to lift your hands and close your eyes. And Lord, today we worship you. God, we honor you. We magnify your name, Lord. We enter into this moment of humility by saying you're God and we're not. And so we lift you up and we worship you. Come on. Come on and just worship him. Come on and just worship him. Come on and just love him this morning. Let his presence flow in your life. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we worship you. We worship you today, God. We worship you today, Jesus. We worship you today, Lord. Worship you. Worship
every eye closed, would you open your heart, and a prayer team, would you come now? This morning, we're right on the eve of Thanksgiving. Man, some of you are going to go into family situations or different circumstances you're facing, and we're going to sing that through again. Here's just what I want to ask you. Man, if you need God's help, if you need prayer, as we begin to sing that song through again, I want you to come right now, and I just want you to let one of our prayer team pray with you. They just want to pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you're like I am. You're just kind of conflicted. You know, come on right now. Come on right now. If you need prayer, the worship team begins to sing. I want you to come for prayer right now this morning. If you have a need, if you need God's help, come on, let him pray for you. Come on.